0: Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 tonight. Now they didn't give me any other mic but this one. So I have to to be good tonight and I have to stay right here. I'll just get out of here and holler at you for a little bit. I don't know what's going to happen. But Colossians chapter 1 and verses 9 down through verse number uh, 23. And you know, my this past week, as we went through vacation Bible school, my heart. Just knowing that, uh, that this particular service was coming, my heart was overwhelmed with uh, the reality of Jesus' sacrifice for us. And, uh, you know, over the course of uh, the years pastoring, uh, it, is, it has often captivated me. And not just in helping other people deal with their stuff, but in dealing with my own stuff. <laughs> but it's captivated me how Jesus could love people who continually defy him. And disobey him and actually the picture that came to my mind was of of my wife Um, with loving me of course uh, of course but um, uh, I was thinking more along the lines of I know where you guys are laughing Um, yes yes indeed that's true Uh, but uh, loving our kids you know I can't tell you how often I'll come home and and uh, of course we have wonderful wonderful kids But they're little sinners, too. You know that, right? Uh, Let me get a drink real quick. That song took it out of me. Um, And sometimes I'll come home, and it's amazing to me how much she gives and how much she gives. And anyone anyone who's been a mother understands that. She gives and she gives and she gives, and yet here are these little sinners who... Never, hardly ever, especially when they're younger, take time to. Now, I love you kids, okay? You guys are giving me mean looks, but uh, I was the same way, Hattie, okay? When I was your age. Um, but they, they hardly ever, and the older they've gotten, the better they've gotten, but they don't, especially when they're young, hardly ever take time to say thank you, ever take time to notice the things their mother does for them. And, and yet, then as I thought about that, I thought about us. How ungrateful we can be. How inconsiderate. How spiteful even. We can be to God who's given us everything. Literally everything. All riches and heavenly places in Christ Jesus. How ungrateful we can become. Always asking for more. Never satisfied with what God's given us when he's literally given us everything. Now that's true for My kids with my wife, how much infinitely true is it of us that we should be appreciative of what Christ has done for us? See, the Bible tells us in Lamentations chapter 3 and verse 22, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. It's only because of the faithful mercies of God that we, on any given day, aren't consumed. And only because of the faithful mercies of God that God doesn't look down on any given day and says, I'm done with you. <laughs> I mean, that's what we deserve. But it's because of God's faithful mercies that that's not what takes place. And the fact is, most days we completely ignore all that Jesus has done for us and is doing for us. And it's a sad indictment on us as Christians. Like little children, we're always just asking for more, asking for more. it's a shame and so it behooves us as believers to take time like this to pause and remember what christ has done for us and uh, that's why nights like this are so incredibly important and so my heart's desire and prayer for our church tonight and for myself is that we would live our lives in such a way that is worthy of christ's sacrifice for us worthy of christ's sacrifice for us Then we could never deserve what he did for us. And that's not what I'm talking about. But you know what? We could take time to remember all he's done for us and choose to start living life today in honor of that sacrifice and in honor of what Jesus Christ has done and is continuing to do for us. And this really is the anthem of this passage of Scripture. Look again with me at Colossians 1 and verse number 9, where the Bible says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, well, what was Paul talking about? The day we heard about these Christians in Colossae, that come to faith in Christ. Since the day we heard it, we do not cease to pray for you and to desire. So he's praying and desiring something for these believers, that you might be filled with all the knowledge, uh, filled with the knowledge of His will, and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, and that you might what walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. Paul's great desire for us as the church was that we might grow to the place where we learn to live a life that is truly worthy of what Christ has done for us. And so I ask you tonight as we prepare together around this table, are you living such a life today? What is required, practically speaking, to live a worthy life in honor of the Lord's sacrifice? Well, we're gonna look at the rest of this text and I believe that the scriptures answers that question for us we're gonna take time to dig into this but why don't we pray and ask God to open our hearts and speak to us our father we come before you we thank you for the opportunity to be able to open your word and now Lord I pray you'd open our hearts to the truth of your word and I pray God that we would not do what you told us not to do when we gather on this table to partake of it unworthily But Lord the whole emphasis is that we would walk worthy. And I believe what you are trying to emphasize to us as we gather around this table is that we would live in an acceptable manner. And uh, you're the only one spiritually that makes us worthy. We only are worthy in your sight because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And yet practically, because of what you've done for us, you've done a transformational work in our hearts that you desire to work out in our lives and. You're not asking for perfection, but God, you are asking for us to make an effort in, our, in this Christian life, and you've given us the power to be able to do so. And God, if in any way we've gotten off track, we have wandered from the way that you would want us to walk in, I pray that you would reveal that to us tonight, that we might get it right. As we gather around this table, we'd be able to celebrate the wonderful truth of what you've done for us and making us worthy, and that it would inspire us to want to walk worthy lives for you so long as you have us on this earth. So, Lord, I pray that you would use these simple truths in your word to speak to our hearts, remind us of what's important. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen and amen. I going to give you tonight six ways we learn here in this passage of Scripture you can strive to walk worthy of the Lord. I'm going to cover this very simply tonight. First off, if you want to write these down, you want to walk, live a life that is worthy of the Lord, you must live to please Jesus. Live to please Jesus. Look at verse 10 with me. Now, if you're with me, say amen. amen. Did you all get your nap today? Some of you look like you didn't get your nap today, okay? Now, there's no napping during the service tonight, okay? I'll just have you know that. I'm just kidding with you. But verse 10 says, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all what? Pleasing. So the word, the first phrase there I want you to notice is the phrase walk worthy. Uh, It comes from two Greek words, peripateo axios. and literally speaks of conducting your life in a manner worthy of the Lord Jesus. That's what he's talking about. You living in such a way that is in honor of Christ's sacrifice for us. Now listen, we just celebrated earlier this month, uh, July 4th. And later on this year, we'll celebrate uh, Veterans Day. Uh, We celebrate Memorial Day um, in America. Why? Why do we celebrate some of these holidays. We celebrate these holidays, uh, for many of them, in honor of the sacrifice of those who've come before us. And uh, the, the truth of the matter is, we've had, we have we men and women who have served this country and, and given their lives for the cause of freedom. And we don't want to squander uh, their sacrifice. We want to uh, steward their sacrifice. And in, in a much greater sense, Christ has given us the greatest sacrifice, greater love, "...has no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends." But the greatest love was not a man giving his life for his friends, but the greatest love ever shown was a man, Jesus, giving his life for his enemies. We were his enemies, according to uh, the book of Romans in chapter number 6. We weren't his friends. We were his enemies. When we were, when we were yet his enemies, we were reconciled to God through the sacrifice of his Son." The book of Romans tells us. What a powerful picture that is. And in, in light of what Jesus Christ has done for us, the way that you can live a life worthy of Jesus' sacrifice is by listening to the admonition given us here you're to live in a manner worthy of the Lord. And the way you're to do that comes at the end of that phrase we looked at that you might walk worthy of, uh, that you might walk worthy. Um, Of the Lord unto all pleasing. Uh, Ariskia is the Greek there. It speaks of a desire to please. In other words, when you get saved, God does a transformational work in your heart. And no longer do you desire solely to live for yourself. No longer do you desire solely to, uh, to walk in sin. But in your heart, your desire has changed. Now you want to please the Lord. And God looks at the heart. Remember that. That's something we've, we've noticed many times as we studied the Sermon on the Mount. And the Bible is talking about you are conducting your life in such a way that you are seeking to live in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. And so there's a fair question then. Is there anything in your life that you consciously know is not pleasing to the Lord? Not according to your standard, but according to His. Because if we're going to live lives seeking to be walk worthy of the Lord, you're going to have to choose to live to please the Lord. That means that sometimes you're going to have to say, you know what? I enjoy this, but I know I, I enjoy this in my flesh, but I know this is not something that pleases the Lord. And I love Jesus more than I love me. I'm going to live to please him. If I truly love my wife, sometimes that means that. I'm not going to do certain things that she doesn't like me to do. Now, she'd probably like me not to do some things more than I choose not to do them. I'll be honest. But that—that that is an expression of love, putting their needs before your needs. And one of the things that the Bible's teaching us here is a manner in which we can walk worthy is by seeking to live lives that are pleasing to the Lord. It's an easy question. Is there anything in your life that is not then pleasing to the Lord? Boy, some of us, we get so ingrained in our habits of life that sometimes we just don't even think about it. You watch television, and the cussing, and all the things that happen. And it just doesn't even phase you anymore. Uh, you, you walk down the street, some of you men perhaps, and you let your eyes wander. The things that you listen to on the radio, the music that you listen to. I go on down the line, but the truth is the Holy Spirit of God does a whole lot better than I'll do standing up here. Is there anything in your life that is not pleasing to the Lord? Because if we're striving to live lives that are honoring to Christ's sacrifice for us. That's where it starts. Live to please Jesus. The second thing, you can write this down. Live to produce for Jesus. Live to produce for Jesus. Look at verse 10. The Bible says... In the middle of that verse, being fruitful. There's the second action phrase. Being fruitful in every good work. Now the phrase being fruitful, it speaks of bearing fruit, obviously. Uh, Being fruitful. And it's actually in the present active tense, indicating that you should be presently active about bearing fruit for the Lord. Now we talked about good tree, bad tree this morning, right? And a good tree produces what kind of fruit? Some of you were listening. Good job, okay? Yes, produces good fruit. Jesus told us in John 15 and in many other places that his intention was, uh, he said, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go forth and that you should bear fruit and that your fruit should, re- should remain. And part of being saved and having God in your heart and working in your life, Part of the result of that is going to be that you, as a believer, should be producing spiritual fruit in your life. And we don't produce the fruit. It's God that produces the fruit through us. We know it comes by His divine power. And yet, as believers, it should be our desire in seeking to please the Lord to bear fruit that brings glory and honor to His name. Now, sometimes, what's produced through our life Let's be honest, it's not very good stuff. Sometimes we struggle, but our desire ought to be to allow the Spirit of God to work through our lives to produce that which is good. It's a manner in which we can walk worthy of Christ's sacrifice for us. Live to please Jesus, number two, live to produce for Jesus. And let me just ask this before we move on. How's the fruit been in your life of late? The Bible says the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. And he that wins souls is wise. That's what the Bible says. It talks about soul winning, winning souls. He that wins souls is wise. And it's interesting to me that one of the most significant ways we can bear fruit is by God using us to help someone else come to Jesus. And sometimes that's inviting someone to church. Sometimes that is actually leading someone else to Christ. That's one of the most significant ways we can bear fruit as believers. Live to please Jesus. Live to produce for Jesus. Number three, live to progress for for Jesus. To progress for Jesus. Verse number 10, the end of that verse, it says we're to be increasing. You see that word there? Increasing in the knowledge of God. Now that word increasing, it uh, comes from axano. It means to grow up. And obviously, it's talking about growing up spiritually here, uh, not growing up physically or growing out physically, even more so, all right? Uh, but increasing, growing up spiritually. And this is in the present passive tense, which indicates you don't make the growing happen, God makes the growing happen within you. Listen, God wants every one of us to grow. So, why don't some of us grow and other, others of us do as quickly? Now, well, I propose to you that the reason more than likely is that we're resisting the growing that God's trying to do in our life. Sometimes in order to give, get the growth in that God wants for a believer, he has to do some pruning, some chastening, some discipline in your life to get you to a place where you're healthy and you can grow again. We don't want to be in that kind of position. Where we are resisting the work of growth that God wants to do in our heart, one of the ways you can walk worthy of the Lord is live in such a way that you are allowing the Spirit of God to work in your heart and transform, uh, transform your heart and renew your mind and continue to grow in your faith. And so as you seek to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord, what's indicated here is that God wants to grow you in the process. For it is God that works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Philippians 2.13. Think about your life tonight. Where are you at spiritually? Now rewind one year. Are you closer to God today than you were then? Have you grown in your faith more today than you were, than the place where you were at then? See, for many of us, if we'd be honest go back a year, five years, ten years, we're not growing, we're backsliding, we're declining. Can I say that's not normal Christianity? And that is not living a life honoring the great sacrifice that Jesus Christ has made for you. You're still saved, on your way to heaven, praise God for it. Listen, you consider what we are thinking about tonight gathering around this table should change your mind about some things I want to walk worthy live to please Jesus live to produce for Jesus live to progress for Jesus Num- uh, number 4 live by the power of Jesus live by the power of Jesus now look at verse number 11 if you're still with me say amen, amen. verse number 11 it says we're to be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience long suffering with joyfulness that word strengthened dunamao, in the greek it means to make strong and this is also in the present passive which doesn't mean that you make yourself strong you're not building yourself up but it's something that god is doing in you where does our strength come from as believers well it comes from the lord and if you try to do it yourself You'll fail miserably, or as one person said, you'll succeed even more miserably because God's power won't be in it. The Bible says in Ephesians six of verse ten, we learned this this week with the young people: uh, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. In First Timothy, the Bible says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The only reason I have any strength is because I have His power. The only reason I have any strength to get anything done for God is because I have His grace that enables me. And that's the key to the Christian life, to being successful in the Christian life. Listen, the only way you can live a life that is pleasing to the Lord is by faith in His power. What does it say in Hebrews 11? But without faith, it is impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You cannot possibly be living a life that's pleasing to the Lord if you're doing it by yourself. Listen, one of the the easiest ways you can live a life walking worthy of the Lord is simply living by faith in the power of God. It's a lot more simple than we make it. Listen, you say, how, how do you do it? How do you do it, preacher? Well, I won't say I do it perfectly. And I won't say, I have it, I won't say that I've got it all figured out. But this is what I've learned, all right? When I wake up and I spend my time with the Lord, every day I try to take some time to simply, essentially tell God I can't do it today. I can't do it by myself. And I've, actually, I've gotten to the place where most of the time I want to tell the Lord is I don't want to do it by myself. Because I know what that feels like. And I know what that feels like to get to the end of the day and realize I did it all alone. Man, all the worry and all the burden and all the stress. I didn't have to carry it all. I didn't have to bear it all. If I just trusted him, that's living a life that's pleasing to the Lord. Living a life in dependence upon him, in dependence upon his power. Live by the power of Jesus. Some of you have been trying too hard to do too much without God. All God asks of you is trust me. Trust me. And he wants to give you the power. Live to please Jesus. Live to produce for Jesus. Live to progress for Jesus. Live by the power of Jesus. Number five, live perceptive of Jesus. Live perceptive, being perceptive of Jesus and what he's done for you. Now, we don't have time to park on all of these, but I want you to see it in your Bible, starting in verse number 12. The Bible begins to describe for us, in short terms, some of what Christ has accomplished for us. Look at verse 12. The Bible says, giving thanks unto the Father which has, and what's the next three words? Made us meet. To be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He has made us meet. That literally means he has rendered us fit. And what he has made us fit for here, according to the scriptures, is to share in the inheritance of the saints. He's made us fit to be his children. He's made us fit for heaven. He's made us fit to be called his own. Why am I saved? Because I'm a good person, because I prayed. No, I am saved because he has made me fit. He has made me acceptable in God's sight. And what a glorious privilege that is. That's something he's done for me. All right, I don't make myself fit. And even as we're preaching a message on walking worthy, never lose sight of the fact that no matter how hard you try, you will never be worthy of what Christ has done for you in and of yourself. Never, never, never one time, only ever through the shed blood of Jesus Christ can you ever be accepted by God. And yet knowing that spiritually, that should not keep us from practically wanting to live lives that are pleasing to the Lord in honor of his sacrifice for us. What has He done for us? Well, He's made us fit. Verse 13 goes on to say that He has delivered us from the power of darkness. That word delivered is ruamai. It means He's rescued us. What has He rescued us from? Well, this past week with the kids in junior church, we learned that there are two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of darkness ruled by Satan and the kingdom of light ruled by the Lord Jesus Christ. And we told the kids, when you were born, you were born into the kingdom of darkness. But see, Jesus, because He's come and died for us, the Bible says He's delivered us. He's rescued us out of the kingdom of darkness and brought us in to the kingdom of His glorious light. When you got saved, you were rescued out of the hand of Satan and you were put into the hand of God. And friend, you don't have to worry about where your destination is anymore because God has changed the destination you're heading to when you die. He's rescued you. Boy, get a hold of that. He's rescued you, delivered you. Verse thirteen. It goes on to say, not only has he delivered us, but he has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. The word translated. It. It. Uh, here's here's my uh, uh, layman definition of it. All right. Translated means he's changed our destination. <laughs> uh, he's taken us from one place. To another place. He removed us from the evil kingdom. And receives us into his good kingdom. Boy I'm thankful. Though I was bound for hell. On October 15th of 1999. I trusted Jesus Christ as my savior. And he translated me. Now I have a new destination. He has changed my situation. Entirely. That's what Jesus has done for me. Go on to verse 14. Verse 14 says, In whom we have what? Redemption through His blood. Jesus has redeemed us. Redemption is the word used here. It means uh, uh, it speaks of a releasing affected by payment rendered. My personal definition I like to go back to for redemption is that Jesus has bought us back from the slave market of sin. When you were born, you were born a slave, a slave to sin. and You could not free yourself as hard as you tried. But Jesus came and stood up and died on the cross and paid the price that was necessary. And he bought us back out of that slave market of sin. He brought us back unto Himself. That's what redemption is. That's what Jesus has done for you. Verse 14, it goes on to say, we have redemption through His blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Ephesus, pardon. Jesus has pardoned you. And uh, in the Old Testament, the concept of redemption was, was conveyed by covering. Covering. Our salvation on this side is not conveyed by God covering up our sins. He's washed them away. As far as the east is from the west, even so far as he removed our transgressions from us, we are pardoned. We have been declared not guilty. And it's not because God just decides to not look at our sins, to cover up our sins so he can't see them. No. No, in the courtroom of heaven... Those sins have been paid for. You say, how are they paid for? Jesus Christ shed his blood and he was buried. And three days later, he rose again from the dead and he ascended to heaven. And before the judge in heaven, he said, you cannot, uh, you cannot condemn those who have trusted in me as Savior. Their sin debt has been paid in full. That's why the book of Romans says he's not only, uh, he's not only the justifier, but he's also just. He's just because he paid for the sin, and then he says, now they're free to go. Their debt of sin has been paid. That's what it means to be forgiven. That's what Jesus Christ has done for you. Now jump down to verse number 20. Verse number 20. The Bible says, in having made peace through the blood of his cross. The Bible says that Jesus has made peace for us. Sorry, I'm popping this thing Got to back off on my peas, I think here, okay? But he's made peace. That is, he's established harmony. Listen, without salvation, you're at war with God. You're not at peace with God. And before you get saved, you don't think God wants anything to do with you, because the truth of the matter is, your sins have separated between you and your God, and uh, uh, made it so that He will not even hear you. The Book of Isaiah, verse sixty-six says, or ch- chapter sixty-six, verses one and two. You're not at at peace with God. You're at war with God before you get saved. That's why a lot of people struggle with the concept of God. They feel like God's against them. The truth is, He is. God is angry with the wicked every day. That's what the psalmist said. And yet God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loves us in spite of how much He hates our sin that he came in the flesh and died for our sin so that he could remove that issue that made him have to oppose us, our sin. And now, Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, being justified, declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm glad that when I come into the presence of God, I know I'm at peace. And he's not at war with me. And nothing... And on this side of my salvation, nothing I do will ever change that. I'm at peace with God through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Now listen, I know we're tired tonight, but don't, don't allow the greatness of what Jesus Christ has done for you to just go over your head. He did this for you. It's an incredible thing as we consider the uh, 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 try to get, wrap our minds around what Jesus Christ has done for us. Now look again at verse number 20 because there's something else for us here. The Bible says, And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him, to reconcile, note that word, all things unto himself. By him I say, whether they be things in heaven or things in earth, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now has he what? Reconciled. Reconciled. He's reconciled you. Brought us back together with God. Now in the position I'm I'm in as a pastor, oftentimes... I'm involved in the reconciliation process. You have two people that are opposed to each other because something has taken place. When you're born into this world, you are opposed to God. And God is opposed to you because of your sin. But the Bible says that Jesus came and through what we're going to celebrate tonight, He died on the cross to bear the penalty for your sin and he shed his blood to cover and wash away your sins. And the beauty of that is, is because when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. Now you who were enemies, you were alienated from God. God, You didn't want to have anything to do with God and God could not have anything to do with you though he wanted to. And because of what Jesus has done and because you put your faith in him the Bible says you've been reconciled to God. You've been brought Back together with God. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man. And that is the man Christ Jesus who gave himself as a ransom for all to be testified of in due time. Who is it that takes your hand and brings you up to God and puts your hand in his? It's Jesus. That's what Jesus did for you. And now every morning you wake up. You don't have to hesitate. You can come boldly to the throne of grace. Why? Why? Because Jesus has reconciled you. There's nothing between. Nothing. You can go right into the very presence of God because Jesus has reconciled you. Isn't that a beautiful thought? Now let's look at one more here in this text. Verse 22 says he's reconciled us. And verse 22 says in the body of his flesh through death. That's how he did it. Why? What happened as a result? To present you holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in his sight present you that's the word present uh peristemi, it means to uh, uh it means that god has presented us in an acceptable manner before god the the word picture behind this word used in the scripture is compared to a bride being presented to her husband on her wedding day now if you know anything that goes into that process It is a significant process for many ladies. All right? The bride getting ready to be presented to her husband. And actually, if you go to Ephesians chapter 5, we won't have time to go there tonight. The same picture is used that he might present her, what? The church, as a glorious church, not having any spot or wrinkle. That's the same word picture that's used there in Ephesians chapter 5. That's what Jesus has done for us. And you see the words that are used there? He says he wants to present us holy, unblameable, and unreprovable in God's sight. Spiritually, the moment you get saved, you are made holy, you are made unblameable, and you are made unreprovable before the Lord, not because of how you're living your life, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. Now that is powerful. Powerful. And that's something that we need to remember when we come to this table as well. Because listen, just because spiritually we live on this level where in the eyes of God we're holy, unblameable, and unreprovable does not mean that practically we don't still struggle. But sometimes we get the two confused. Because we struggle with sin and we think, well, God doesn't want anything to do with me. Wrong. Now God doesn't want you to continue on in your sin just because he's a gracious God. Romans 6 makes that very clear to us. Yes, that's very clear. But the fact of what Jesus Christ has done for you never changes. Satan is the one who wants to keep us from coming into the presence of God. God is the one who, as the, prodigal, uh, the father of the prodigal son, he's always opening his, opening his arms, wanting his children to come home. Always. That's always the position that God is in. And so this is the key. Look at verse 23. It says, if you continue in the faith grounded and settled and be not moved away from the hope of what? The gospel. the gospel. Why am I holy in God's sight? Why am I unblameable? Why am I unreprovable? Because I act like it today? No. Because I have the hope of the gospel. It's because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. That's what makes me holy. It's because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. That's what makes me spotless, unblameable, unreprovable in the sight of God. And the sooner you get a hold of that truth, the more at peace you'll be in your Christian life. And so listen, I've taken a lot of time to expound what the scripture is telling us here, but you want to live a life walking worthy of what the Lord has done for you? Live being perceptive of what Jesus has done for you. Because if you live in such a way, it will will be the strongest motive that you have to turn around and want to live for the Lord. As I consider what Jesus Christ has done for me, it causes me to want to live for Jesus Christ. We love him, we said it earlier, because he what? Our love, we can't create love. Love comes from God. We can only reciprocate love. We can only reflect the love that we're shown, all right? And as God, as we understand God loves us, it allows us to be able to show that love back to the Lord and to others. I don't have time for this last one here. I'll just mention it to you. Six ways you can strive to walk worthy of the Lord. Live to please Jesus. Live to produce for Jesus. Live to progress for Jesus. Live by the power of Jesus. Live perceptive of Jesus and what he's done for you. Then live to praise Jesus, look at verse 12, giving thanks unto the father, giving thanks unto the father. We give praise to the God who manifested himself to uh, manifested himself to us. That's what uh, 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 verse number uh, verse number uh, 15 says. He's the image of the invisible God. We we give thanks to the God who made us. The Bible talks about by him all things were created in verses Uh, Verse number 16, we give praise to the God who maintains us every day. He sustains us, provides for us, takes care of us. Verse 17, by him all things consist. And in verse 18, we give thanks to the God who motivates us. He motivates us. He is the head of the body, the church. Verse 18 says, the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence, for it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. Boy, he is at the head of the church. He's at the head of our life. He's the one that calls the shots. He's the one who's preeminent. And he's the one who calls us and motivates us to live for him. And it's not just because he's a dictator sitting up in heaven and saying, you do whatever I say. No, remember, it's because he's the one that came down and walked on this earth and sacrificed himself for us. And now invites us to follow him. Now, it's very easy to get so caught up in life, even in trying to live for the Lord, that we lose sight of his great sacrifice for us. God calls us to come to this table to take some time to reflect. On all it is that Jesus Christ really has done for us. And as we remember, he calls us to walk worthy. He makes us worthy spiritually. But now in light of what he's done for us, he says, try to live up to it.